Good afternoon, well of life. How are you guys doing? My name is Noel. For those of you who do not know me, I'm one of the elders here at Well of Life, and I have the privilege to bring you God's word today. Once upon a time, when I studied acting, I learned this technique called the point of inflection. It's a simple technique. While we speak in a normal conversation, we always focus on a few words, which drives the meaning of a communication, depending on the context, of course, and that leads to the outcome. For example, if I say, I'm going home, in this sentence, the point of inflection or the focus is on I, which means no matter whoever's coming or not, I'm going home. Now, if I say I'm going home, that brings the attention to the destination where I'm choosing to go and not me, the person. Even in life, as we live, we all have a point of inflections and they reflect our focus. Three weeks ago, when I was preaching, I told you guys that at work, we're going through a restructure. So it's quite tense, like walking on eggshells. Recently, we had a normal work challenge which blew out of proportion. Again, and I guess because someone had to be blamed, it fell on. And when I got to know about it, that I became the point of inflection or the focus in a conversation in negative light, I felt quite bad. I was like, God, what do I do? I heard the Lord say, I'm reducing you. I was like, wait, what? Reducing me for what? But then I didn't hear anything from him. Later, the person who was responsible for my stress came to me and apologized. That person felt quite bad, and we're good now. But you see, between the gap of not knowing and hurting, God was actually reducing me because he was increasing my dependence on him and not on my corporate ideas of dealing with complex work dynamics, which is basically people gossiping and bickering. But then I also understood that God was reducing me because he was being glorified through me. Jesus said, Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. He was referring to the kingdom. But if we are to live the kingdom of God on earth, then how are we to live that? By the way, just to be clear, Jesus was not teaching that to enter the kingdom, we have to be poor. Scripture is clear that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus and not by works. Also, there's no heavenly law where the poor gets to oppress the rich. Jesus was referring to the posture of our hearts and the way we lay down things for him, including ourselves. Interestingly, when the disciples of John the Baptist came to him running, saying, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River and identified as the Messiah is now baptizing people and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John the Baptist replied, saying, I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend simply stands with joy hearing the vows. And then John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Friends, that's the title of my preach today. John, Paul, who wrote the letter to the Philippians, this Philippine series that we are in right now, understood that to build God's kingdom, we need to operate from this place of where Christ has increased and we are decreased. Last week, Rob beautifully concluded Philippians chapter 1 for us with the theme of Jesus at the center of it all. And today I have the privilege of taking us to chapter 2, where we will see that the theme of Christ at the center brings us to this place of complete surrender where our lives say this, he must increase, but I must decrease. Let's open our Bibles and read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Paul writes, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 
let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In these verses, Paul, who I consider a master articulator, begins with a few rhetorical questions. First, he asks if there's any consolation in Christ. Of course, there's great consolation in Christ. In Luke chapter 2, one of the titles given to Jesus is that he's the consolation of Israel. I think that's even true for us. Then he asks if there's any comfort of love. We know that to have Jesus is to have the comfort of love. Then he asks if there's any fellowship of the Spirit. Paul knew and valued the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills and guides us in the most precious and powerful way. And then he asks, is there any affection and mercy? Every Christian knows something about the affection and mercy of God through Jesus and his body. To be honest, as I read this part of the verse, I felt like Paul was saying, if the water is wet, if the fire is hot, if the rocks are hard, then praise the Lord. But you see, that's not what he was saying. I'm just joking. Don't come to me later and say, Noel, Charles Spurgeon would never say something like this. I know he wouldn't. It's just a joke. But why is he making these rhetorical questions? Because he wants to get somewhere. But before he gets to that place, he wants to remind the Philippians about these treasures, consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy, things that sometimes may seem to go at the back burner of our lives, but are actually precious. And after he stirs them with these reminders, he comes to the point by saying, fulfill my joy. Okay, Paul, so you've made great points, point taken, but what is your idea here? Remember, he says, fulfill my joy. He positions it as a personal request. So what is his joy and how can that be fulfilled? He says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Friends, in this journey of life, where the world wants to know what's in for me, Paul is pleading the Philippians and even us today to fulfill his joy, which is not from a place of selfishness, but selflessness. He wants to refocus the point of inflections in our life where we live, live this upside down kingdom joy which is actually placing Jesus first, then others, and then you, me. So that our lives may speak, he must increase, but I must decrease. Let's unpack that kingdom joy today. The first point of inflection in our lives should be Jesus. Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. In this one statement, he is urging the Philippians to strive for four things. Firstly, being like-minded, united in their purpose and motivation, and not be disputing whether to go here or there, do this or that, have the mind of Christ. Then he says they were to have the same love. Paul mentions love throughout the letter of Philippians. The same unconditional love they received by grace through faith in Jesus was also to be extended to the body. Then he says that they were to be in one accord. This was a reference to harmony. There were a few people in church who were being troubled by 
other false teachers who are promoting Jewish laws and circumcision as mandatory for believers. And then lastly, he says, they were to be of one mind, not deviating from the teachings of the scripture and the call God has placed on our lives as believers in Christ. In totality, this was a call for unity. It brings Jesus first in our lives. Paul wanted the Philippians' life to reflect Jesus in unity. Jesus was one with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. But friends, and Paul is drawing the Philippians and even us today to that beautiful picture of unity in Christ because we reflect him. Jesus said, any kingdom divided by itself by civil war is doomed. A town or a family splintered by feuding will fall. If we, are to if we are to build the kingdom of God on earth as a family of Christ, we cannot be splintered or doomed by our little civil wars. I did not like what he or she said to me. Oh, you know what? This person didn't even greet me the other day. Let's get over our little civil wars. And if needed, let's resolve them in one accord, in one mind, with the same love. But we cannot be divided. Let's get past those things so that we can focus on the big picture. What is the big picture God has given well of life? What is our true north? Our true north is forming families, transforming nations for the glory of God. But can we live that big picture if we are divided? When Jesus was praying to God, he said, I pray that they may be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be one in us so that the world will believe that you have sent me. Friends, this picture of unity was not just Paul's great idea. It was Jesus' desire for us. And if Jesus is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, then it's the desire of the creator of the heaven and the earth for us. But why? so that people may come to know Christ. In this divided world of hostility, people see a king in our unity who calls us and them to a greater life and purpose. When we come together in unity, in Christ, something significant happens. When we stand together as a church, God moves. In this church, as we worship together, as we sit under the teaching of the word together, as we fellowship and love one another, it's like the river of God's love flowing through Christ. And anyone who comes into this fold is impacted by the gospel in one way or the other. And even as we leave from here to our respective homes or some even offices, we leave united in a mandate to share Christ. As you go, I hope, that you take this shared love and passion with you to share Jesus or invite someone into this fold to find Christ. How many nationalities are we here at Well of Life? Lots, right? At least 40. Albino. That means 40 different ways of doing things. Yet, we strive for unity in Christ. Why? Because this is a kingdom picture. Every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together and bowing down to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Sometimes I'm so baffled by what happens in this body 
I, sometimes I even wonder, why wouldn't Abiola and Arita invite me and my wife to dinner? Why would a guy in Tanya invite me, my wife, and my 30, 35 friends from a cricket stadium to their house to celebrate my birthday? Why does Well of Life keep fighting to have Ignite prayer meetings, Unite prayer meetings? Why do we keep on saying, come to church, let's have those gathered moments? Why do we have young adults? Why do we have youth? Why do we have this camp that is happening? It's a picture of unity in Christ. It's not a purposeless unity. We're not a social camp here. Because when we come together, we strengthen one another. We build one another. Jesus is spoken of. Church plants are dreamt of. We share what happened in those apostolic trips. We're inspired to take out the gospel. It's a unity that is held high because it brings the point of inflection or our focus back to Jesus, who is our first priority in every order. And it reminds us to share the gospel, which is our greatest privilege. Friends, if needed, let's lay aside our preferences or even our differences to strive for unity in Christ. Let's come together to make Jesus our priority. Let's be of one heart and mind to share the gospel. And as we do that, as we unite in Christ, we are naturally led to serve others. The second most important point of inflection that should be in our lives. Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Have you ever had a selfish ambition? Have you ever done something for yourself? Just try to slip in an idea or do something to benefit yourself. Well, I have. Probably many times. Friends, Paul's words here are like a coal that burns yet purifies our hearts. Not being selfish is to put the self out of the equation. It is difficult, not easy. Because we want the equation to be about ourselves. Have you ever heard yourself in an argument? You'll notice that we use words like I, me, myself. You know why? Because we want to share our perspective. We want to tell our side of the story. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem comes when telling our side of the story becomes our priority and learning becomes secondary. Where we don't care who gets hurt or who, get, who suffers, we should prevail. The I, me, and myself is selfish because it puts us at the center, not Jesus. And if we claim to have Jesus at the center, then like Paul said, in lowliness of mind, not thinking too much about ourselves, we must esteem others better than ourselves. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the other person who was dying with him next to him, he gave him an equal chance to come to heaven as much as he did for his disciples. There is no disciple and convict in the body of Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Friends, every person in the body, no matter of great or small influence, adds value. We cannot disregard one another or else we'll have multiple blind spots. Sometimes we all can think that we can do all things by ourselves, but we cannot. We can only do all things through Christ and he calls us to esteem others better than ourselves. 
One of the values in Well of Life is that we build in teams. We value the contribution of each and every member in the life of this church. We value you, Well of Life, because we know that all of us need one another. Two weeks ago when Dylan was preaching, after he preached, he came to me and he said, bro, will you please give me some feedback? He didn't have to. He preached really well. But you see, this is an example of someone esteeming the other person better than himself. We are not perfect. I am not. We all need each other. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the church functions like a human body. Every body part has its own role and function. And one is not superior to the other. One does not take over the other. But we are friends called to strive for that harmony as well. Imagine if I'm preaching right now and if my hand comes in front of me and says, let me make a point. Or if my leg goes here and says, no, I want to go here. Will that work? Right now, as I am speaking, my words, my thoughts, my actions are in harmony. And just like our body, the body of Christ should also strive to be in that harmony. But how do we get there? By uniting in Christ, which drives us to esteem others better than ourselves. In other words, we should dress ourselves in the apron of humility while dealing with one another, while serving one another. We should never be without it. Because it serves God and the body of Christ. And that unwavering humility cements the body and holds it tight. That unwavering humility will cement you well of life. So let's esteem others better than ourselves. Let's remove the veil of our differences to build one another. And as we do that, we come to the third point of inflection in our lives, the least of all in the equation, you, me. Paul says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Here the thought of what Paul is saying is completed. After we lay aside our selfish ambitions, our tendencies to be high and self-absorbed, we naturally have a greater concern for the interests and needs of others. By the way, Paul is not saying that it is wrong to look out for yourself, but we should not just look out for ourselves. The world and pretty much us want to know what's in for me. And you don't need to be naive and not look out for yourself. I'm not saying to be foolish and forget about your family or your responsibilities. But friends, here Paul is changing our thought pattern and our approach to life in Christ. He wants us to place Jesus first, his gospel, then others, the body, and then us, you. But not just us, but us extending the love of Christ, advancing God's kingdom. Paul knows that the human nature is frail. Is my job secure? Am I getting all the workload on my head? And while keeping that in mind, we shouldn't allow people to walk over us, but we shouldn't become the opposite and walk all over people within or outside the body. Even when we do things for ourselves, to be honest, we never just do things for ourselves. How many of you send money back home? How many of you love someone, care for someone, help someone, walk with someone in a journey? Friends, God has blessed us with a tender heart to care and love for one another. Some have that compassion too much, like my wife. 
and some are working towards that compassion like me. My wife has this habit of not eating alone and involving everyone in everything. She likes to share her meal and her moments with someone. To be honest, it's a habit that irritates me sometimes. But that's how she's wired. And I'm the opposite. I can eat a tub of yogurt on my own and not even ask you. But here's what I've learned from her. That while we take care of ourselves, our families, we shouldn't forget that God has blessed us to be a blessing. We can feed a soul with love and prayer. Hold someone up in the body. While God is ministering to us through someone. And there's also a flip side to it that I'd like to bring to us. While we build God's kingdom, while we encourage and we strengthen one another, while we build in community, a few people become closer to us. They become so integrated in our lives that they become a part of us. And when that happens, we need to be shwaya aware, a little aware. I'll tell you why. I often tell people that one of the things I've learned in Dubai is that you should always grow in building new relationships. Because this is such a transient city that people come and leave and then we sit and mourn that our friends have gone. But also, because the kingdom of God requires us to build new relationships, we cannot just have a few good friends and settle. Or else we will never be able to advance God's kingdom. And that can even mean sometimes laying aside the very people that have now become a part of us. We cannot just come to church, stand and meet the same people week after week, month after month. There are at least 40 nationalities in the church. Please meet someone else. We cannot be biased to a few people who are closer to us. God calls us on this journey to build his kingdom, which means to build new relationships. It means to give people opportunities to serve, to lead, to grow, and then go. I'm not sure how many of you know about this, but I have permission so I can share this. Penny and Heloise in the life of this church are our dearest friends. They're not from the same country as us. They don't even share the same culture as us. They just look like us. And my wife and I have been friends with them for seven years now. <clears throat> and soon they'll be leaving this country. So with a few friends, a staycation was being planned and only one weekend, a Saturday, Sunday could work. So they booked that staycation, not them, but the friends. And uh, we were invited. So we had to apologize and say, we'll come for Saturday, but we will not be there for Sunday because we have to be in church. So this one really good friend of ours said, you know what, they've been with us through thick and thin. So you may want to consider making a concession. And I was like, no. So the friend asked, are you preaching that week? I was like, no. Are you emceeing? No. Then this takes precedence over everything else. To be honest, it is difficult to say no to a couple that have walked with us through thick and thin. They held us last year when we were shattered, but it is worth it, and they're mature enough to understand that because they know that together we live this life where we place Jesus and the gospel first, others, the body second, and us ourselves later. And now that they've become so integrated in our lives that they become a part of us, they get the joyful opportunity to share in the cost with us. Last week, Rob was standing here and preaching, and then I was sitting there while it was their son's 18th birthday. And just to be clear, we don't have to. We choose to. We choose to be here because we want to build with you and not just settle for where we are. 
friends, let's choose to lay aside ourselves to advance God's kingdom. In the beginning, I mentioned that when the disciples of John the Baptist came to him saying, Rabbi, the man you identified as the Messiah on the other side of the Jordan River is now baptizing people and everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. John's response was, it's the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend simply stands next to him with great joy hearing his vows. Friends, we as the body of Christ are the bride, but we have a role to play as the bridegroom's friend, preparing the way for the Lord, just as John the Baptist did, preparing for that great feast in heaven for the bridegroom, which is Jesus. Jesus.